Hey guys, Young and Profiting Podcast has just launched Yap Society on Slack. It's a cool community where listeners can network and give us valuable feedback on the show. To join Yap Society on Slack, go to bit.ly slash Yap Society. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Yap Society. And if you're already active, share the wealth and invite your friends. Yap Society on Slack is sponsored by Compass HQ, a Slack app that gives insights to help your team work better together. Use Compass HQ to get detailed analytics, visualize communication patterns, and run surveys to collect input from your team. Visit compasshq.com to learn more. This episode of Yap is sponsored by our friends at Rethink Creative Group. They're a digital advertising, marketing, and content creation agency focused on helping businesses of all sizes. They do everything from running your social media platforms for you to building your website, running digital advertising, to producing podcasts just like this. We've seen their work, and trust me, they're awesome. They focus on generating results for their clients, which is why they've worked with over 100 different clients across industries in the past four years. I partnered with them because I'm always asked to take on freelance marketing projects, but I simply don't have the bandwidth, and they're the only agency I would put my name behind. So if you're tired of marketing that just doesn't work, you need to look these guys up. Go to rethink.agency slash yap. And our listeners get a special gift if you sign up to work with them. That's rethink.agency slash yap. You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. I'm Halataha, and today we're yapping about moonshots, or astronomically ambitious projects that address a huge problem, propose a radical solution, and use breakthrough technology to achieve the goal. Moonshots like Google's self-driving car or SpaceX's goal of humans becoming a multi-planetary species live in a gray area between audacious project and pure science fiction. Instead of a mere 10% gains, they aim for 10x improvements. Joining us today is Naveen Jain, billionaire, serial entrepreneur, and philanthropist who is driven to solve the world's biggest challenges through his moonshot projects. He is the former CEO of Infospace, one of the largest internet companies before the dot-com bubble. Now he spends his time on his company Moon Express, which is determined to harvest energy and resources from the moon. And another company called Viome, a gut microbiome testing service, which applies artificial intelligence and machine learning to provide personalized nutritional recommendations that can reduce diseases like cancer and diabetes and increase human lifespans. Naveen is a recipient of many awards, like the Ernest & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award and the Albert Einstein Technology Medal. And we here at YAP are absolutely floored to speak with someone so dedicated on pushing humanity upward and forward. Hey, Naveen, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's such an honor to speak with you today, so I appreciate you taking out the time. Well, thank you. Okay, so let's get started. You are a widely successful entrepreneur, a visionary, the recipient of numerous philanthropic awards, and basically a walking example of success and limitless ambition. But you really came from humble beginnings. So let's start back then. Tell us what it was like growing up in India for you. Well, Hala, I want to focus more on the audience as opposed to me, but just to give you a brief idea. You know, the, I grew up in India. We didn't have food to eat. We didn't have a place to stay. I came to the United States with $5 in my pocket, didn't speak the language. And God has been very, very kind to us. And we have, in fact, received from the society more than I could have ever imagined. And at this phase in my life, I have dedicated my life to figuring out how do I repay my debt to the society. And I know the people who helped me become who I am today don't need my help. So I found that the only way I can pay back is to really pay forward. And I do my part to making sure that can we start companies that could help a billion people live better lives? I start to think about what can I do to educate and inspire the next generation to go out and be extremely successful. And when they become successful, they will find exactly the same way to give back to the society. And we can create this movement. And in this movement, we can have enroll millions of people who are going to come together and want to make sure everyone around us lives a better life. That means we can go out and focus on what can each one of us do that will change the way people live their lives? And there has never been a time in the human history 
that individuals and a small group of people are capable of doing things that used to require the large companies or even nation states to do. And that's a fundamental shift that exponential technologies is allowing for any person anywhere in the world to have access to the same resources, access to the same set of technologies, and to be able to do things that was unimaginable just five years ago. And that to me is what's going to allow any young person to go out and completely reinvent any industry that they dream about. Wow, that's very powerful and inspiring. And I can't wait to dive deeper into all the things that you said. But for those listeners who really aren't familiar with you, I just want them to understand how successful you are, who you are as a person. So can you talk to us about some of the key milestones that you've taken over your life to kind of become the successful billionaire entrepreneur that you are today? So I think, Hala, that's where you and I are going to have a discussion after this thing. That's because I'm not going to talk about myself at this point. What I'm going to do is actually give you better than that. Okay. To me, of all the things that I have done, the biggest thing that I am most proud of is our three children. And to me, it was easy for me to come from nothing and have that hunger in my stomach to go out and do things. Our children grew up in an amazingly affluent home, but watching them grow up and become an extremely productive citizen of the society and going out and doing things that actually can change the way people live their life is really what's most satisfying. So our oldest is Uncle Jan. He's 29 years old. He graduated from Wharton. When he was 17 years old, he started something called Kairos and K-A-I-R-O-S. And that is now world's largest college entrepreneurship thing. Mm. After he graduated, he started a company, he sold that company, and now he's 100% focused at this young age, trying to find a way to create affordable housing, affordable childcare, affordable senior care, and working with millions of young entrepreneurs. So he has these Kairos chapters around the world in 140 different colleges, where all these college entrepreneurs come together and he brings them the right set of mentors to help them grow and succeed. Our daughter graduated from Stanford and she is a Stanford STEM fellow, Stanford Mayfield fellow, and she's the youth ambassador for United Nations. And she wanted to focus on helping girls and women around the world. What does she do? She is now working at an AI company to remove gender bias by completely, essentially removing the resume, the idea of who this person is, and using that artificial intelligence technologies, the companies that she's working with have increased the women employment by 300%. Our youngest one is graduating from Stanford this year, and he is now a Schwarzman scholar, and he's going to be going to Tsinghua University in Beijing to really go out and see how not only we can start to work with the entrepreneurs around the world, but as China is growing a great entrepreneurial power, And realizing that, unlike political divide, the entrepreneurs have no geographical boundaries. Entrepreneurs work with other entrepreneurs around the world. And in fact, even the capital is not patriotic. Capital goes where the opportunities are. And my hope is that him as a Schwarzman scholar and really understanding the culture in China to be able to bridge that divide where great entrepreneurs from China and great entrepreneurs from around the world are able to work together and solve the problem that's facing humanity, whether it is a climate change, whether it's creating abundance of energy, abundance of food, abundance of water, and really reinventing education system, reinventing healthcare. And that is really something we all can be proud of. Mm -hmm. So there you have my accomplishments are our three children. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay, so that's wonderful. And it seems like you've raised children who are really accomplishing moonshot projects. And speaking of that, I read your audiobook on moonshots. And it was so inspiring. So entertaining. And I think in order for my listeners to really understand what you're about and your vision for the future, it's important to understand your theory on scarcity and how it's the root of all problems and how it holds humans back. So let's start there. Can you just talk a little bit about scarcity and how we as humans to unlock our potential need to shift to a mindset of abundance to solve some of our world's biggest challenges? The reason we think there is value to something. And the only way we as humans create value for something is because we believe these things are somehow scarce. Scarcity is what creates value. What if you start to believe that 
things that you value today can be in abundance, suddenly not only they can be democratized, they can be completely demonetized. And you know, this is where most people think that humans are so greedy. It doesn't matter how much we have, we will always want more. And that's why we'll always have a value of scarcity. Until you start to think about that we as humans actually have generosity built into our DNA because we realized during evolution that when our tribe died, we all died because we only could live when we were all healthy and happy and lived as a tribe together to be able to deal with the harsh environment that we were living in. And that is part of our generosity that built into our DNA. But more importantly, we all as humans can enjoy a sport. We could be sitting in 70,000 people arena and we can all be enjoying the game and all and never fighting over air or oxygen. Why is that? Because we inherently believe the air is abundant. The oxygen in the atmosphere is abundant. So we don't slap the guy right next to us and say, hey, stop breathing. You're taking my oxygen. It's because once something is in abundance and we believe it is in abundance, guess what? It has no value. We don't pay for the air. We don't pay for that oxygen, right? Mm -hmm. And now imagine if the energy was the next air. What if we have enough energy on this planet that there is no cost to energy. And what I mean by that is today, every 90 minutes, more solar energy falls on planet Earth than we use in the whole year. It's simply the matter of converting that solar energy into a useful form of energy. That is a problem that will get solved. It's already on that exponential curve down that today the cost of solar is coming down to at a distribution level at par with other forms of energy. Within the next five to 10 years, the solar energy will have a marginal cost of close to zero. And once that happens, imagine it's going to be the next air. And once you have abundance of energy, you can have abundance of clean water because you can desalinize it. You can take the dirtiest water in Africa and you can distill it. So my point is, you, as you start to think about how to solve these problems, and I'm going to give you many examples of how do you think about a problem and what are the right set of questions to ask? And then are you actually solving the problem root cause or are you simply solving the symptom and as we start to dig into this concept mm -hmm. we'll discuss a little bit more and more specific examples the last point i want to make on this particular subject is that most people when they go out and want to solve a problem they always somehow are stopped by their own mind power because they believe they know nothing about this subject. So how are they going to go out and make an impact on something they know nothing about? And that is the second thing that I learned is that if you are an expert in a field, you become useless in that field. And what I mean by that is once you are an expert, you, the best you can do is to make an incremental improvement. Mm -hmm. And you can make a 10% improvement, you can make a 15% improvement, but you will never be able to go out and change it 10x or 100x. Because as an expert, you have to take the foundation of that thing for granted. And unless you are willing to challenge the foundation, you can never make it make it disruptive improvement in anything, you'll always be stuck with the incremental improvement. Got it. So let's hone in on the scarcity piece of it. I love everything that you're talking about. We're going to touch on all of that later on in the interview. I'm going to pry into some of those things that you had mentioned. But let's stick on scarcity for a second. Can you explain why sustainability doesn't work? Because sustainability is such a big theme with corporations, with organizations. Everybody is rallying behind sustainability. But you fundamentally think that sustainability doesn't work. So can you just elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, so I think the sustainability really has become a synonym for conservation. So essentially, when people say we need to be sustainable, what they are really saying is we need to stop using resources and start really conserving resources and use less. And we all know, I mean, it's like somebody telling you that the best way to get rich is to not spend. The best way to get rich is to earn more, not to spend less. And to me, the only way we can make something sustainable because the, let's assume the air is scarce and we start telling people, hey, we need to be sustainable, stop using air. That means you, stop, you essentially stop breathing 
every five minutes you stop breathing for 30 seconds. Oh my God, now there are more people. You have to stop breathing for 45 seconds. Oh my God, now we have more people on the planet. Now you have to stop breathing one minute every five minutes. Now you have to stop breathing two minutes. And at the end of the day, people, that's just unsustainable because people can't stop breathing. And the fact is, the only way we can live, whether it's 7 billion or 10 billion or 20 billion, is to create enough of those resources that just 20 billion people will need. Now, the question will come down to say, how can we constantly keep creating without destroying? And the answer is because we're always thinking the limitations that we are dealing with. So we believe somehow that humanity can only live on the planet Earth. And we forget that our planet Earth is nothing but a tiny pale blue dot in our own solar system. Our solar system is nothing but a tiny dot in our own galaxy. Our galaxy is nothing but a tiny dot in our universe. And our universe may be a tiny dot in this multiverse. So where is that scarcity of places people can live on? And that to me is that mindset, once you start thinking about that, then where is that resource limitation that we keep talking about? How do we get mm-hmm. enough resources? And, you know, we can talk about, you know, how do we go out and make every one of these things possible? How do we get people to start thinking that living on the planet Earth can be same as living on the moon or somewhere else? It's just a matter of what technologies we need to develop. So this is a good point for you to maybe explain how Moon Express aims to help solve some of these resource problems on Earth. So, First of all, I just say, you know, I hate talking about myself and the company. Please, but, <laughs> for the sake of our listeners. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about the concept of going to the moon. Why go to the moon or why do the space exploration when there are so many problems on planet Earth? What people don't realize is these are not mutually exclusive. First mm-hmm. of all, anytime you have a choice of going to the space or solving a problem on planet Earth, that choice should be to do both. We can explore space and we can solve the planet on Earth. And by the way, we can explore space to solve the problem on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Let's take an example of energy. Today, we believe the energy can only be produced by the resources that we have on planet Earth. What if we can bring helium-3, which is an isotope of helium? What if we can bring the helium-3 from moon or other places on space to planet Earth, and it can be used as a completely non-radioactive, clean energy source for fusion energy. And I know some of the people who just heard the word fusion thinking, this guy is nutso. Doesn't he know that we don't have a fusion energy, right? Mm-hmm. And answer is we don't have helium-3 either, right? The point is you have to be where the puck is going to be, not where the puck is, right? We know in the next five to 10 years, we will have the fusion energy and we'll be able to develop the fusion reactors. And then someone is going to ask and say, does someone have helium-3? And you want to be that guy and say, yep, got one. Mm-hmm. So point is, we have to start thinking about what resources that are available outside planet Earth that will allow us to create abundance of clean energy. Sure, we should use the resources that are already here, such as solar, such as air. But imagine even with the solar, the biggest problem with the solar is, unfortunately, we have times where we don't have the sun shining. And that means we have to store the energy. That means we now have to develop the storage technology such as battery and stuff. But what if we can put the solar panels above the earth atmosphere. What if those solar panels can always have access to sun? Mm-hmm. In that case, we can essentially have the solar energy 24-7 around the year and we can microwave the energy down to all over the world simply from these solar panels in the space. Mm-hmm. So idea really is that we have to Think about not what the world is. Start dreaming about what the world can be. Don't think about what is impossible. Think about how to take the problem that seemingly looks impossible and say what technologies need to be developed to make that possible. Mm -hmm. And I can give an example which I think will probably bring this point home. We talk about living away from the planet Earth. How can you possibly live on the moon? It is impossible. And instead of saying that, what if the question you were to ask is say, what 
technologies we will have to develop to be able to live on the moon. Now you are in a solution mode. And the first thing people say is, well, of course you can't live on the moon because there is tremendous amount of radiation. Without realizing that nature has already solved that problem. We see the bacterial organisms growing in radioactive nuclear waste. That means nature has already figured out how to protect its DNA from very, very high radiation and use the radiation as a source of energy. So what if we can take these genes from these bacteria, modify the human genes using CRISPR to essentially make us completely radiation resistant? Now, of course, the CRISPR is not perfect today, but CRISPR is going to be perfect in three to five years from now by the time we decide we want to live on the moon. That means there is nothing that needs to be done other than the technology to continue to get matured, which is going to happen anyway. So that means that's not a problem that we need to solve for us to be able to live on the moon. That is a problem that's being solved for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Second question, people say, okay, fine, I give it to you that you can live on radiation by making the human beings radiation resistant. Then how are we going to grow the food on the moon? And I think that's really the wrong question to ask. The question we need to be asking instead is, why do we eat food? Because once you ask that question, you say, oh, you need to really eat food because we need energy and we need nutrients. Now we say, okay, if you need energy, just like the plants can get energy from photosynthesis, bacteria gets energy from radiation. Can we use either one of them to essentially provide the energy that our human body needs? And in terms of nutrients, what kind of nutrients we might need? Well, we need hydrogen, we need oxygen, we need nitrogen. And you say, okay, so what if we know there is a water on the moon? Can't we just split the water into its ingredients? That's hydrogen and oxygen. We got that solved. Now the nitrogen part is interesting. We don't know if there is enough nitrogen on the moon or not. So let's just shelf that and say, okay, to live on the moon, we need to figure out how to take enough nitrogen to the moon. And that is the problem we need to solve. And suddenly you start to realize that living on the moon is simply about either finding the nitrogen on the moon or taking enough nitrogen to the moon. And that is a solvable problem. So you took something that seemed impossible and broke it down into something that's easy to solve or at least easy to put your arms around. Wow, that's really incredible how you just broke that down. And it's a great example of a moonshot project, something that's really hard to achieve, more than 10% incremental progress. Can you give some color around what you define a moonshot project to be and how it really differs from other projects? And also how we can use science fiction as a way to kind of get a vision of what the future could be and how science fiction is actually a precursor of what reality is. So I think to some extent, the reality is shaped by our imagination. And the science fiction provides us with that imagination. So it's really is the only limit to what we can achieve is really our imagination. So even my mom, she loved me so much, she will say, you can go do anything you want. Sky is the limit. Without realizing there is no sky. In fact, sky is nothing but a figment of our imagination. But to our eyes, that looks like a barrier that cannot be crossed. And imagine when you go from here to the moon, you don't call mom and say, hey, mom, I just passed the sky, right? There is no sky, right? So sky is something, a limit we create. And there are many skies in our life we create. And these are the barriers that look so physical that we think we can't cross until we get close to them. And they look like that was simply a mirage. There was nothing there that seemed like a hurdle, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really the way of starting to solve. So to me, a moonshot is something that's the odd enough that to most people it will start to look impossible and it's only the people who start to see the vision and the imagination of what is possible so when people would say that Steve Jobs has this distorted field of reality what actually he had was a very clear imagination he could see the world that needed to be and other people have what I would call the distorted field of reality that they can't see that right that is distorted It's not distorted to be able to see clearly where the world needs to be. And it's just a matter of 
thinking about how the world can be changed. And I want to give another concrete example of how do we look at a problem? And when you're looking at a problem, are you really looking at the symptom of that problem? Are you looking at the root cause? Mm -hmm. So now let's take an example of everyone knows that lack of fresh water in many parts of the world is really one of the biggest problems that we need to solve. And many entrepreneurs say, you know what, if the lack of fresh water is a problem, I'm going to start working on set of technologies that can take the fresh water from the air. And I'm going to start building the nanotechnology that can able to take desalinize the water at a cheap cost using solar energy. Until you start to think about it and saying, why do we actually have shortage of fresh water? And then you realize that majority of the fresh water is actually used in agriculture. And if that's used in agriculture, then we say, oh, maybe I can modify the way we do agriculture and maybe we can use aeroponic and maybe we can use aquaponic and maybe we can start to build a way for agriculture so that we can maybe use the lightly salted water. And now you feel really good that you actually have become uh, solving the root cause until you realize that what is it that so much agriculture that we need And we realize the reason we have so much agriculture is because majority of the agriculture is being used to feed the cattle. Mm -hmm. And you say, oh, I need to now solve the cattle problem. So what if instead of raising cattle, what if we can actually create beef just by using a stem cell from a cow, just like what nature does takes so one cell divides instead of creating all types of tissues, whether it's eyes and the ears that we don't need to eat, then let's just create the muscle tissues. And now suddenly you realize that the problem of fresh water really is a synthetic biology problem of creating the beef or meat that we need directly using biofactories. A synthetic biology problem is what's going to solve the fresh water problem, is going to solve the agriculture problem. And if you don't need all that agriculture, now suddenly we can feed twice as many people. So when people say when you get from 8 billion to 10 billion, how are you going to feed them? By getting from 8 billion to 16 billion by just simply solving the problem of cattle. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They're in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who wanna try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at Yap. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified 
right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is, I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting, and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify Magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie and you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. That's very, very eye-opening. It just goes to show how really what you think might be the root of the problem is not in fact the root of the problem and you have to dig a little deeper to find out. So let's talk about why moonshot projects are more achievable today than ever. We've got an influx of entrepreneurs. Growth of technology is going from linear to exponential. Can you just give some color to why now is a good time to try to achieve these out-of-this-world projects? Yeah. So first of all, there are two reasons why the moonshot projects are easier now than ever. And secondly, the moonshot projects have always been easier than a smaller project. Because when you are going out and doing something, that has a potential to fundamentally change the trajectory of how humanity is going to live. You are attracting the best and the brightest around the world who want to work on something that is meaningful, something when successful can fundamentally change the way people live their life. So for example, when I started my healthcare company, I set the moonshot to say, what if we can create a world where illness was truly optional? What if being sick was a matter of choice, not a matter of bad luck? And with that moonshot, I was able to find the people who said, look, I am the expert in artificial intelligence and I have done everything in my life that I wanted to do. I want to join you to solve this problem because this problem is worth solving. Mm -hmm. I got the best people who were 
understanding the human body at the genetic expression level to say, I'm going to quit my job and come and join you to help you solve this problem because this problem is worth solving. We found the best scientists who were working on some of the best biodefense technology to say, we have the underlying technology to be able to understand the human body that we have been working for the defense. Now we can apply that technology to keep people healthy. That would have never been possible if I had a smaller goal and saying, you know what, I'm going to go out and build an app that's going to find you a roommate. People are going to say, good luck, have fun. Right? They're not going to come and say, I'm going to quit my job and help you solve this problem because that's how the humanity is going to change the way people live. And that is what allows the moonshots to be possible because these big ideas are so big when successful changes the humanity. And that's why the best and the brightest come and join. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, for the first time, all the things we need to do these amazing things are becoming possible because the cost of the sensors, the cost of the technology to do these things are coming down so fast. That means we can now sequence every gene in the human body at a cost of under $100. It no longer requires a billion dollars to do a human genome sequencing. It no longer requires multi-supercomputers to go out and analyze that data. You can put that on Amazon Web Service and fire the 20 cores and you can analyze that data. So not only the artificial intelligence is becoming powerful enough, our sensors are becoming smaller, cheaper, and faster for us to be able to get the data that we need to be able to solve that problem. And amazing thing is this healthcare company called Wyom that I started, that is exactly what we did. And in two years, now we're starting to see that thousands and thousands of people whose life has fundamentally changed. We never understood what would it take, but we never stopped from learning. And today we get email every day, people who are telling us, look, their autoimmune disease that from childhood is disappearing. They no longer have cancer or they're able to fight the things that they bothered us, obesity and diabetes and Alzheimer and depression and anxiety. These were simply the symptoms because the things were going wrong in their body. So as opposed to attacking the symptoms, we attacked the root cause, which was really what was inside their body that was causing inflammation. Because the chronic diseases start with a chronic inflammation and we were able to understand the root cause of chronic inflammation was how your gut, the microbes, the 40 trillion microbes in your gut was how they were interacting with the human body. But that for some other day, just want to give you an example of how something so audacious where we have trillions of dollars we're spending in healthcare alone in the United States. Someone like me who knew nothing about healthcare, I'm not a scientist, I am not an AI person, I don't even have a degree in computer science. Someone who knew nothing about it took on that this problem can be solved and should be solved. Mm -hmm. And that means there was nothing special that why me other than why not me? Right? And that was a simple thing, the determination to be able to do that, not because I was the expert or I knew something more than other people did. So interesting. And you brought up Viome. And just as a background for my listeners, basically what this is, it's a testing service that use AI and machine learning where you provide a sample to Viome and they let you know what types of food you should eat based on your gut health. So very cool stuff. Let's stick on the area of health. You've got one of the biggest imaginations in the world. So what do you think the future of health looks like? Sure. So the future of health is actually going to be very different from what we see today. Today, we, you and I and billions of us, we are actually relying on these experts in the healthcare system to tell us when we are sick what to do. And our healthcare system, as you and I both know, is designed for them to make money when we are sick. That means no one in the healthcare system makes money when we are healthy and everyone makes money when we are sick. So what do you think is their incentive? Now imagine when you have a chronic disease, the pharmaceutical companies consider you a subscriber because their job is not to solve or understand what is causing the chronic disease. Their job is to simply suppress the symptom because once they suppress the symptom, you have to take their drug for the rest of the life. Knowing 
Not only you have to take it for the rest of the life, every drug you take is going to cause three more symptoms and they have drug for those three and those three drugs were going to cause nine more symptoms and then now you're going to have drug for all those nine and by the time you get old you're popping more pills than blueberries and there is a problem with that right and that to me is the future of health is going to be where individuals are empowered to take control of their own health. That means every individual becomes a CEO of their own health and the technology is going to be available to them for them to be able to understand what is going on inside their body and AI is going to tell them exactly what to do. That means it's going to be actionable. Don't eat apple. Don't eat spinach. Even though the Popeye told you spinach was healthy, it's actually harming you. <laughs> and we tell you, by the way, not only that don't eat spinach, we tell you why. Like for me, it says don't eat apple. It's because I have an apple virus in my gut that's causing inflammation. It tells me not to eat banana because the chitinase in banana is causing inflammation in my body. It tells me to not eat lentils. I'm a vegetarian. I used to eat lentil all the time. It's because the protein in that is not being digested. In turn, is being converted into sulfide and ammonia that's causing inflammation, right? So point was, that simple thing where individuals now can take control and suddenly I don't need to go to a doctor. My blood pressure came down. My cholesterol level is better. I lost weight. And my doctor is wondering all the drugs that I was taking, why am I not taking them? Because I don't need them anymore. Mm -hmm. That is the unbelievable was I was taking these drugs, Nexium and all those things that was making me sicker than I was. And my doctor said, you know what? I'm so glad I increased the drug for you so that now you're healthier. I told her that I haven't taken them for a year. <laughs> so my point is the future of health is going to be personalized. It's going to be each individual becoming the CEO of their own health. And I really believe the future of health is going to be not only preventing the diseases and if ever we happen to have a disease to be able to use a food as a drug to be able to reverse it. It sounds so futuristic until you go back and realize that 2,500 years ago, a Greek doctor named Hippocrates, he said, all diseases begin in the gut. And he knew there is no healthy food. He said, one man's food is another man's poison. And then he says, let the food be thy medicine. Let thy medicine be the food. I may have just called Viome Hippocrates because that's exactly what we're doing. That's amazing. And what about artificial intelligence? How do you think we'll interface with AI in the future? Well, I think we will not be interfacing with AI because AI will be part of everything that we interface with. So it's not going to be a separate thing called AI. I mean, today, imagine we put the dishes in the dishwasher. We don't think of a dishwasher as a robot and AI. Right? But we interface it with every day. When we are flying in the plane, do we ever say we are interfacing with the AI? Because most planes are autonomous flyers. They fly autonomously, right? And suddenly, we are essentially in a robot that's being flown with AI, but we're not interfacing with AI. Our cars are becoming smarter every day, and it's using AI. So whether it is you know, giving you a warning when you're changing the lane, it is doing the helping you with the braking, and soon it tells you when you're too close to a car. What is all that? That's all AI, but we never think of it as AI. The beauty of the AI is once it becomes part of our AI, it's no longer that mythical, mystical AI. It it just becomes that. In your book, you mentioned something called connectomes, I think they're called. So the connectome is really a name for how our neurons are actually synaptically connected inside our human brain, right? So the connectome is to understand the connection, the neural network, and how our neurons connect with each other to create the memories and to create the experiences that we are having. The interesting thing is, now, with underlying technology from many, many different ways, we are able to understand how the neurons in our brain are connected. In fact, what we are finding is that our gut 
and brain are tightly connected through this vagus nerve. And in fact, now they're able to find that through the vagus nerve, nine signals go from gut to the brain and one signal goes from brain to the gut. That means there's nine times more traffic going up than the traffic coming down. And that means to large extent, it's not the brain may not be the control center. It may be a gut that's a control center. In fact, most people used to think the gut is our secondary brain. What people don't realize is that as we evolved, the digestive system evolved before we even had a brain. So if you look at some of the animals and mammals and original sea animals, they don't have the brain. They actually have the neurons in their gut just like we do. So point I'm trying to make here is that we find that the synaptic connections are there actually may be possible across our body. And I wouldn't be surprised if we realize that brain just may have a higher concentration of these neurons, but our whole body is actually a one big network. And every time we disrupt one network, it changes everything else. So this whole idea of our healthcare system, where we look at our body as a subsystem. So we have a kidney doctor, we have a heart doctor, we have a GI doctor, and we have a brain doctors. And they don't realize that all these things are really connected. You can't just change one thing. When you change one thing, it changes everything else. So I really believe that the idea of this connectome, which is starting out as the connections in the brain, is going to actually become the connectome of the human body, that how our human body is really a super organism in that not only it is connected internally to us, it also connects the 40 trillion organisms in our gut to our humans. That means all of these are one single network. And when you take antibiotics or you take the food that are actually changing these organisms, it fundamentally changes these connectome. And that's why we start to see the health and our disease are all connected together. I mean, if you look at the disease, is really a word at body not being at ease. When something is not at ease, it's called dis-ease. And we call that disease. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I can't wait to see like how far you go with Viome and how much that catches on. It sounds like such an innovative idea and you're really just trying to improve the health of the world. So everything you're doing is so noble. It is clear that you have a out of this world imagination. You're able to see the future. You're able to look beyond just what's in front of you and reality. So how can we as individuals become more imaginative like you? Well, actually, it's not just imaginative like me. You need to be the best version of yourself. And the best way to really start thinking about is what is it that you care about enough? What is your true obsession? Almost everyone will tell you to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to have a passion. And I really believe the passion is for losers. The winners have obsession. They don't have passion. Passion is a hobby. When you start to get that obsession that you can't sleep, you cannot, when you wake up in the morning, you cannot think of anything else. And when you find that, that is what you start to solve. And when you start to do that, then you start to find all the possible ways, possible ways of solving that problem. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Got it. Earlier, you were touching on the fact that you've spent your life in a whole range of industries. So that's telecom, tech, health, space. And most entrepreneurs really focus on one industry and they take a vertical approach, but you really take a lateral approach. You take knowledge from industry to industry and you apply it and innovate that way. So can you kind of walk through a scenario of whether it's yourself or someone else who has taken knowledge from one industry to disrupt another? I mean, almost everyone, I mean, if you look at the successful entrepreneurs, they go across industries because being a novice or non-expert is what allows them to rethink that new industry. So look at Elon Musk. What is he doing? He's doing a digging, the boring company that's digging tunnel or hyperloop, looking at the space exploration, building the cars. I mean, what is the common between them, right? It is really three different industries and he's attacking them by understanding the fundamental principles of block and tackling as an entrepreneur. You look at Jeff Bezos doing the space exploration, doing e-commerce, looking at fundamentally now in the healthcare. So that means people are going out and attacking the different problems, understanding that almost all of the problems, you need to start thinking about what is possible and how do you take those imagination and start to break down into smaller chunks of pieces that you can start executing and completely disrupt. That means you take a very large problem and you start to take slices of them, start to solve them. And suddenly, you know, you solve the whole pie. Can you elaborate on why it's better to be a novice as opposed to an expert? Well, and I, as I was describing is that once you become an expert, by definition, that means you now have a lot of fundamental knowledge about that subject. And that becomes the anchor and that becomes your baggage. And when you are a non-expert, you are going to be able to challenge that foundation. So, for example, if I was a doctor, I would have, by the time I graduated from the medical school, I would have been taught the only way to solve the disease, there is a pill for every ill. And I would have become the salesperson for a pharmaceutical company. That means all I do is prescribe and essentially sell the pharmaceutical drug. Because as an MD, I'm never taught about nutrition. I'm not taught about holistic health. I'm simply taught about I graduate, I know how to prescribe a drug, and then I become an expert, and all I know is a lot about that kidney, and I know maybe I'm a diabetic doctor. That means all I care about is reducing your glucose. I don't really care what else happens in your body. So, for example, if I'm a diabetic doctor, all I care is you're not building enough glucose in your body. There is no glycemic response. So, I can tell you only eat butter. If you eat a bucket of butter every day, you will have no glycemic response and you will be totally fine with diabetes. Now, it's pretty likely you're going to die from heart disease, but that's your heart doctor to figure out, not my problem. (laughs) And that to me is really the problem we face is that as an expert, I would have never thought, why can't the food be personalized medicine? We talked about personalized medicine. What if the personalized medicine is something we take every day. We just need to know which of these drugs I need to take. Is that spinach my right drug or is it apple my right drug or it's really the maybe the tomato is my right drug. What is it that's the right drug for me and if what if that can be done? That would have never come from somebody who is a doctor. It will just never because they're not taught beyond what they are expert at, which is how do I prescribe the right drug to this person? Got it. And so... And you can either take that example, same thing in space. Every space company, if you go back and look at, what did they do? To go to the moon or beyond, they build the massive, biggest possible rocket. They can, because they knew that's the only way they knew how to do it. When we came into the space industry, you look at the Elon. I mean, if you look at Elon, why is it NASA has burned through hundreds of billions of dollars, never thought about reusing the rocket? They never thought they can save the face one, bring it back and reuse it. They rebuild the whole thing. So think about it. It's like flying a plane and throwing it away and getting a new plane again. Mm-hmm. That is something only the entrepreneurs and innovators do because 
Elon did not come from the aerospace industry. When we started Moon Express, we didn't build a big rocket. We said, what if we can take the smallest, cheapest rocket that can take us to the low Earth orbit? And what if our lander itself has a small rocket? Now that we have gotten out of most of the Earth atmosphere, can we just take our own small rocket and go to the moon? That simple change brought the cost down from a billion dollar to go to the moon to under $10 million. Mm-hmm. And that would have never been possible if I was a rocket scientist thinking about how to solve that problem. I was thinking more like a software person thinking, why can't we build multiple modules that actually build on top of each other and they call each other's expertise rather than one big monolithic code that everybody in the software hates. Another good example you talked about in your book was about the oil spill with the um, tattoo artist, the mechanic, and the dentist. Can you give us that example? Yes, this actually came out of the X Prize. You know, so when the oil spill happened, and you know, here is uh, British Petroleum spending billions of dollars trying to clean up that oil, and they were using exactly the same technology that Exxon used when the Exxon Valdez spill happened in Alaska. And at XPRIZE, I'm on the board of XPRIZE, we thought there's got to be a better way of doing it. So we put a $1.4 million prize, Wendy Schmidt put that money, and saying, can someone develop a technology that will be twice as good as something we are using today? And some of the finalists were people who have never really thought about this problem. And the example you're talking about, one of the finalists was actually a team that consisted of a tattoo artist, a mechanic, and a dentist. And it sounds like a start of a really bad joke here, right? But this is literally what happened. A mechanic is getting a tattoo in his arm, and he tells the tattoo artist is asking, he says, you know, you heard of this $1.4 million prize. You are a mechanic. Why can't you build something that will collect this oil? Oil has to be just twice as good. And the mechanic says, you know what? I think the oil spill happens when people are drilling a lot of oil. My dentist does a lot of drilling. I got to ask him. <laughs> and they came together and built this thing that was four times better. Obviously, they didn't win because somebody built that was eight times better. But imagine these three people who knew nothing about it built a device that cost less than a million dollars and they were able to make it four times better versus British Petroleum that spent billions of dollars trying to solve this problem they could do themselves because they were expert in that field. It's almost like when you're an expert, you have tunnel vision and you can't see the easy solutions that might solve a problem or you just can't see out of the box. Okay, so let's go back to your childhood a bit. We won't talk specifically about your childhood, so don't worry. You grew up in a caste system and you were told that you couldn't achieve your dreams. I remember that your father actually told you that you wouldn't amount to anything better than an accountant. You obviously didn't listen to that. Why is being an independent thinker or a rebel something important to consider as a young adult? So I think, you know, in this country is really amazing. If you have imagination and you're constantly re, you know, reinventing or reimagining what is possible, we are diagnosed with ADHD. You know, every one of our children that I mentioned, when they were young, they were told the teacher would say, I think your kids have ADHD. They cannot focus. They're constantly being distracted by everything else that could be done. And they wanted to put them on a drug. And I said, listen. They are just more creative and more imaginative than the average person. And I'm not going to put them on any drug. And those three kids are now changing the way people are going to live their life. Right. So my point is, when we, the innovation and the changes happen on the edges, it is those crazy people, as Steve Jobs says, who believe it can be done, are the ones who get it done. If you are part of the bell curve and right in the middle, you're always going to be that average person. So be the rebel that you always wanted to be. And that rebellious person is going to be the next innovator. It's got the next Steve Jobs, the next Jeff Bezos, the next Elon Musk. It happens because you believe something that no one else believes is possible. Got it. And if you had one piece of advice to give a millennial today, what would it be? I think I would tell them dream big, dream so big that people think you are absolutely crazy. Never be afraid to fail because you only fail when you give up. Every idea that works or does not work is simply a stepping stone to a different idea and a bigger idea. In life of an entrepreneur, just remember, it is always 
going to be ups and downs. So I always explain to every young entrepreneur that think of being an entrepreneur as your heartbeat. It is always going to be up and down. When it is smooth, you're already dead. You don't want the smooth heart line. You want the ups and downs. When you are down, all you have to do is hunker down and know the next beat is going to be up. But the most importantly, when you are on the top of that beat, never get too cocky. Keep your friends close and just remember the winter is coming. Right. And that to me is really the way to think about it. When you are successful and a leader, always remember that your success will never be measured by how much money you have in the bank. It will always be measured by how many people's life you have changed. You will only know you're successful when you have become humble. If you don't have humility and you still have arrogance, that means you're still trying to prove something to someone else or yourself. So be humble, dream big, never be afraid to fail and just know there are going to be ups and downs. And my last advice really would be that when you are a leader, don't get people to start thinking like you. Allow them to dream their own imagination. And those imagination are the ones that are going to help you propel your ideas forward. Awesome. Well, thank you. That was such great advice. I'm honestly going to have to listen to this interview three times to absorb all the different insights that you gave us. So thank you so much. Where can our listeners go to find more about you and everything that you do? Uh, so, Of course, you can find me on social media, on Instagram and t- Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. And you can also email it to me. My email is my first name, Naveen, N-A-V-E-E-N dot my last name, J-A-I-N at gmail.com. So feel free to send me an email or find me on a social network and hope to continue our conversation. Awesome. Thanks so much, Naveen. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you, Hala. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and check us out at youngandprofiting.com. And now you can chat live with us every single day on Yap Society on Slack. Check out our show notes or youngandprofiting.com for the registration link. You can find me on Instagram at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Hala Taha. Big thanks to the Yap team for another successful episode. This week, I'd like to give a shout out to our marketing manager, Steves, for all her dedication to growing our Instagram community. Make her day and follow us at Young and Profiting. And Parth, who has been heads down helping to relaunch our YouTube channel. This is Hala signing off. <laughs>